Thank you for downloading The Pursuit Podcast. For more information on The Pursuit, visit thepursuitsoco.com. The fifth is what I want to talk about today. So I get to talk about the pursuit of presence as one of our core values as we're you know, leaning into these things. I want to kind of start with this phrase that I've been thinking about for a few weeks. God's presence fills all the space in between. And when I wrote that down, you know, it really just started speaking to, to me. I, you know, I like when you say something and it ministers to you. That's nice. Because it, it just made this real space of peace in my heart. Because right now, it's really timely. Uh, words like revival are a hot issue, um, even in non-religious news sources. And you know what? It's actually creating a real pain experience for me. I'm going to be real honest about my feelings today, because that's what we do in this community, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a very big part of my heart that actually kind of sinks to the floor when it hears that word, believe it or not. And it's not because I don't agree with it, because I don't think, or because I don't think it's good. I love it. I mean, man, I've had so many awesome encounters with God in these kinds of spaces, in these sometimes very long-lasting uh, times. Um, and honestly, go look at the video from Asbury University right now. It's beautiful. I, it's, it's just sweet because it's so honest. It's really fragile. Uh, it's just these students just leaning in. Uh, that's the part that makes you start to feel all scared because your faculty is doing their best to protect that, to let it be the students experiencing God, just soaking it up and not let it get co-opted or scooped up or marketed or branded or turned into something else, which you're already trying to anyway. Um, so what I don't love is that knee-jerk reaction, though, that we get when all of a sudden there's an outpouring, a revival, a breakthrough, and everyone just says, God's over there, let's go. Like he's not already here. Already here. And I know a lot of times we just want to go dip in, feel what everyone else is feeling. That is fun. You know, take a moment, advantage of that moment in time. I've done a lot of that. It's not inherently bad. I, it's fun. It's just a fun experience to go be in the middle of, of something like that. The shared experience is beautiful. It's one of those things that we just, it speaks to us so much. It's why we are here together and not all sitting in little booths with curtains drawn around us. That would be a really weird church. Some of you might like it, but, you know, so where the, when one of the parts that kind of brings pain to me here is when something's revived, it is changed forever. That word has a lot of weight to me. Okay, uh, it goes from dead to alive. It's lasting. It's not temporary. The Bible does not talk about Jesus resuscitating anything. Okay, I can, I can force air into your lungs. I can make your heart beat for a few minutes, but I cannot give you life. Okay, but God gives life, everlasting life. That because your life becomes one with His, you get to be in His space, in His life, and because Christ lives forever, you get to live forever. And that's not even the end goal that we're chasing. That's not the prize, believe it or not, everlasting life. That's just the reality that he set. Okay, that should be where you start from. Okay? Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I get it. You've got to work out your salvation, all that stuff. That's good for you. I do it all the time, constantly. Um, you got to unpack it. you got to know what that means. But the great revival of mankind, of humanity itself, okay, this lasting revelation of the presence of God, the thing, okay, that happened in the birth, life, and death of Jesus. It is already on. 
I've seen a lot of revivals in my life. I'm not that old, but I've seen a lot of them in my life. And they felt good, and good things happened. I've seen people in vegetative coma states come back to perfectly normal. I have seen legs grow longer. I have seen all the things. Okay, I've, I've born and raised in this. Literally, I know nothing else. Okay, all good stuff. People are touched and healed. But I can still experience a move of God in that moment, on that Sunday, and I can walk out and be the worst person the next morning. Okay, to someone else, to myself. If I don't do something to, su- to sustain it, to sustain what happens when I'm encountering God's goodness, it's like, I'm not changed. I experienced something. The experience was real. The feelings were real, but I've not changed. I haven't experienced revival in me if I'm not changed. So it's a painful word for me because I'm reminded of all the unfinished, unsustained pieces, ones that I've experienced, that I've gone through, that I didn't sustain or nurture or whatever. It makes me look at how these beautiful encounters with the presence of God, they get commercialized. They get branded and it draws my eye to the parts that I question. You know, the parts that make me uncomfortable. Yeah, I would have been right up there next to Thomas saying, show me your hands. Okay? My new favorite scripture, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is the most honest human expression of like, I'm in, but I don't understand. I'm not looking to prove something wrong. Okay, that's not what Thomas was doing either. I'm looking for more of the real thing to grab onto because I know the experience we have is just the shallowest piece of the whole thing, you know? Like this little chunk of rock that we're on that's hurtling through space and somehow not crashing into something else is not the whole big finished picture of God and his goodness. It's like the trailer. It's the teaser. Okay? So I don't want just a good-looking revival image. I want the presence of God. I want it staring me right in the face, and I don't care what it looks like. It could look like people falling down. That's fun and really entertaining when just a room goes sideways miraculously. I've been in the middle of that. I've, I've been on the floor. I've been unable to speak for 24 hours before. Okay, I get that. That is fun. You really can't ignore it at that point. That's God turning the volume up to 11 so you can't miss it. Okay? And sometimes it looks like the hungry being fed or needs being met. I want that presence of God. I want it to look like families experiencing health and wholeness. I mean, in the way Elijah has described this, this vision he has of you know, what does revival look like in our context, it's families being healed and whole and relationships being strong and alive. That's the presence of God. Because I believe that if God made it good, then I believe it is still good. And it's good enough for him, and that's good enough for him to be in the middle of, for his presence to be there. Jesus didn't say, go and preach revival to the whole world. He said, go and tell the gospel, the good news, the news that says, I am here. I am with you. I will not leave you. And that changes all that pain for me. Okay, that's the presence of God, and it will fill all the space. And mountaintop moments are fun, and they produce good fruit, and don't ever be ashamed of those moments. That's something else I would say. I mean, you, you go to encounters like this, don't feel bad about it. This is an awesome space. That's an accomplishment. But they're not every space. And if we're really honest, we are not always living up here all the time. I don't know about you. I am not living on the mountaintop all the time. And if any of you tell me you are, lying is a sin. Okay? <laughs> we don't live. We're not here all the time. We just can't. It's not how life is. And so if God's presence is only up here or over there, it does nothing for the other 98% of my life. And I don't want a God I only find when I look for him because that means he's not already there. 
I want him to already be there. I want him to always be there, even when I don't see him. Because his presence has to be as good in the best of time as it is in the worst. You know, that's the thing about God. He's good all the time, even when the world isn't. Even when your life isn't. All the time. You know, when you're alive, he's good. When you're sick, dying, broken, he's still good. When your team wins, he's good. When your team loses, he's good. It doesn't matter what is going on. He's good. His goodness is just, it's the foundation of his presence. You can't have one without the other. You can't experience the presence of God without being witnessed to his goodness. That's who he is. And if he looks like anything other than good, get a little closer and look again. You're not seeing him. I want to read uh, Colossians 1, starting in 1.15. This is what I like to call a baseline scripture, one of these parts of the Bible that just resets us to normal, okay? There's a lot of foundations in the New Testament, things that you should just stand on and say, okay, this is what normal looks like. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, and the firstborn heir of all creation. For in him was created the universe of things, both the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it all exists through him for his purpose. And he existed before anything else was made, and now everything finds completion in him. He is the head of his body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. And it says the word all and everything a total of nine times in a very short span of time. That should tell you something. He really means the whole thing. He means all of it. He means everything. He means he's in. Okay? What's true of God is true of Christ. That's another good baseline thing to remember when you're reading the Bible. Okay? It's true of God. It's true of Jesus. It's true of Jesus. It's true of the Holy Spirit. It's true of the Holy Spirit. It's true of God. Keep going. Okay? All things were made by him and for him, and he holds all things together. I'm going to go out on a wild limb of faith, and the scripture uses some big words, like all and everything. I'm going to put my trust in it and see where it takes me. Not just some, not just partial, but all, everything. I'll risk it. The world is full of burning bushes waiting for you if you just look. Okay? Everywhere is holy ground if you take your shoes off. If he made it, it's still his creation. Okay? Find me something that was able to be made on its own, and we'll talk about it. But everything he made and continues to make and continues to inhabit. Everything. God's presence is here right now, just here in this moment, in this chair, on this platform, over by that door, in your breath, in your thoughts, in your journal, whatever. He's here. And we are being called to see it everywhere so that we can live it everywhere, not just in front of the camera or on the stage or whatever your thing is. When I draw a pen across a blank page and I make something from nothing, I feel the hand of God on my hand. Not pushing me or guiding me even, but wanting to see where I'll go. That's a connection. When I'm down on the floor, eye level with the Legos my kids are playing with, I see the presence of God in whatever little world they're building. Whatever mess it is, I'm in the middle of it. You know, when I take that breath and I 
lift something big and heavy and I set it down for fun, I feel the presence of God in my lungs, my blood, my pain, my sweat, okay, because I've been made by him and he's holding it all together. You know, physical experience invites you into spiritual experience. Again, Thomas said, show me your hands. That was an invitation into knowing God even deeper. Physical, then the supernatural. You know, the presence of God's not meant to take you away from creation, but to actually pull you deeper in. That's one of those traps we get into, that we think the presence of God makes something too holy for us to handle. But you know what? You are made to handle holy. Okay? Um, man, when, when Mary of Bethany pours out the alabaster bottle uh, and anoints Jesus, his disciples get all up in arms because they thought it was out of order, it was wasteful, it was disrespectful, there's something better to be done with it. And Jesus says... I promise you that when this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her devotion to me will be mentioned in memory of her. And I've read that verse countless times, and I never saw this until now. He made space in his presence, in his holy presence, for her memory, for her story. Jesus Christ, creator of heaven and earth, turned the spotlight on his creation for a moment and said, that matters to me. That's important. When you tell my story, he tells her story too. That's what real love looks like. That is what God inhabiting his creation looked like. His presence is where you are at because his presence inhabits creation. And when he rested in that creation in Genesis, he didn't just abandon it or go hang on it for a minute and then go on to something else. That wasn't some prophetic image of the future. That was, that was a statement of God and his nature, of who he is, that he's in it. And even before mankind sees Jesus face to face, they still know this about this unseen God that they're following. He is in it with them. He's in their space, your space, in your life, in your experience, whatever you're doing and feeling. You know, God's presence, his glory includes, if I can be so bold to say, pursues you. And recognizing that presence that's our purpose. That's our way to see him to respond to him is to say, there you are. And his presence in includes yours because you're in with him. And your presence is his greatest joy. He's not there for his presence, do you realize? He's not showing up to worship himself. He's showing up because he wants to know you. He wants you to be in it with him and him in it with you. Yeah, his presence is undeniable when people are lost in worship. And he just moved to silence those moments that let the psalm go. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like oil poured down the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard and on the collar of his robes. That sounds messy, but it sounds like connection and relationship, which is intentional expression of someone's presence. It's a saturating experience. It fills the space. I mean, you pour oil on something, it will get in everything. It's awful. <laughs> I dropped a bottle of oil in our kitchen one time. I was cleaning it for months. Months. His presence is undeniable when you make eye contact with the person sitting next to you. In fact, look around. There's other people around you. Look at one of them. There's human beings in here. Lovely people. And right now, you have an opportunity to recognize the presence of God. Right there. 
because that person's not just made in his image, but because God is dwelling in his creation, and that includes them. But you can ignore it, and you can cover it up, and you can deny it, and it will cause pain. And I'm so convinced of the power of our union with God, that part of the reason why we feel so crushed, so hurt when our identity is shut down, is somewhere deep in our spirit, we're responding to the presence of God being rejected. Okay, we are in union with him. So when you shut him down, it hurts me and vice versa. You know, that presence isn't just some ethereal little ghost floating around in the back of your head. It's, it's the essence of your existence. Now, how do you address yourself? Okay? You know, it impacts the space we're capable of making for God's presence. How I see myself will become a bottleneck for how much I can recognize the presence of God. And it doesn't, yeah, how it should be, right? It doesn't change the reality of his presence. Okay? His movement towards you cannot be stopped, altered, hindered in any way. Uh, John 12, and, and my favorite translation of that verse, when I'm raised up, I will drag all mankind to myself. He's very straightforward about his commitment to you. You don't really get a say in that. He says, you're coming in. I love you. I'm here with you. But the, the degree to which we look away completely affects the degree to which we receive from him. 90% of the time, it's easy for me to recognize the presence of God all around me. I've made it a thing. Like, it's something I want to do. I see him in nature. I see him in my kids. I see him in stories and movies and interactions with people. Whatever. Okay? It's, I've made that a point. But when I'm struggling with who I am, that is different. Man, I felt this. This, this weekend, I felt this. Okay? I've been moving towards this goal for a year. It's a physical thing. And I just bombed it and I could have just said hmm that was frustrating and maybe worked around it in a logical way instead I let it completely destroy me for the day and wrap my identity around performance and let that define how I felt about myself very very painful because um, it also had to Emote everyone else around me and my family. Because, um, you know, when my, when my own peace, my sense of my presence and who I am is rooted in how I feel, okay, uh, and not experienced as a response to God's goodness, man, it, it gets blown around real easy. It is a victim to whatever's going to push it. I mean, Christina, you know, she, she went here a couple weeks ago. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That does require you to love yourself. And not in just like an egotistical fake way, but like really, you've got to be cool with yourself if you're going to be cool with anyone else, okay? And emotional intelligence creates this, um, this awareness of our sense of being, this sense of your true self, because your real self really hinges entirely on Jesus, whether you know him or not. Remember what the Bible says, all things, everything, everybody, okay? doesn't matter. If you've ever, never been in the church, Jesus is still holding you together. And it's hard, it's not impossible, but it is painfully difficult to really appreciate and receive the presence of God if you can't cope with the presence of yourself. Like, you might get lucky and force it. That does happen. But why? I said it all morning, the two are really connected. Like, let me, um, let me say it this way. If you can't handle the presence of you, if you don't see yourself with adequate value, if your relationship with God is mostly you know, transactional, just really sticking to what he can do for you rather than that relationship, 
His presence will feel like hell. Because God's presence is radiant, and it is illuminating. And let's use the language of the Bible. It is purifying fire, burning away the junk, leaving the treasure. Refines. And that's awesome. Sounds really good until I'm squarely in the middle of the fire. <laughs> I want it hot, but I don't want it that hot. Okay? Like I, like, I like hot water. I don't want you to sear my skin off. There's a fine line. Okay? If my state of being is healthy and like ready to rise to meet that light, there it is. That's encounter. That's God showing up and you saying, I see it. Like I see the treasure. When I meet that light coming out of the dark, when I'm uh, identifying more with the trash, oh, it does not feel good. And I don't know if you've ever, ever had to have something cauterized. Um, that's a real experience. It is blindingly painful. It hurts. Being burned hurts. Guess what? Both of those encounters are leading you to the same space. Alive. Whole aware and engaged with his presence. His presence that has not changed, does not change, won't ever recede from you. But your reception is your reality. I didn't say truth. Truth is different. Reality, truth, and fact are three different things. The truth is God is always good and he is always there for you and he is always moving towards you. His love does not end towards you. But your reality is somewhere on the spectrum of believing that. Okay, It's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it. You ever felt like that, that God's just over there, that his presence maybe seems more painful than good? Easier to hide from that pain than face it? Or maybe you don't show up at all, or maybe you do show up and you just put on a mask, you know, keep that strong face on. That's not being present to yourself or to the people around you. It's not being present to God. It's not making space in your presence for his goodness. And we all pass through that many times in our life, many times over the course of the day, depending on the day, okay? I... This isn't like, okay, you're this or you're this. It's, remember, our life is that way. Our emotions are a constant wave. And it would be nice if we could all just meditate on this truth and it all get fixed. That is not the way real life works. That is not the way you work. You feel. You bleed. You remember. And if you're carrying that all on your own, you are your worst critic. Okay? You're, you point all that pain inward at the flaws that only you see. Uh, and you shape an identity out of it. All the while, God is just kind of standing right there, like this, whispering to get close. Like when my daughter gets a splinter in her foot, all she sees is the pain, not how much better this will be if I can just take the splinter out of the tweezers. The tweezers are pain. Touching the, the splinter is pain. Putting in hot water is pain. All this thing, just all pain is just pain. There's no moment of realizing, wow, if I could just let someone get close and be with me, they can be there. It's how we respond. And God is actively seeking that kind of emotional and, and physical co-regulation with you. He's not wanting to circumvent your discomfort and just make it go away in a little magical puff. And he wants to get in there. And he leads by example so that you also will do this okay, for yourself, towards others around you. It deepens your relationship with him when you deepen your relationship with others. Because it stretches your ability to love. And the more you can love, the more you can receive his love. And that's the way back home for me. You know, it's your family, it's your community, it's the people around you. Because Christianity was never meant to be the singular experience of you just kind of you against the world. There is no you against the world, by the way. That's not what the Bible tells you. I mean, alone time with God is good, but it's not the whole thing. Okay? It's important. You gotta 
Gotta clear your head sometimes. You need to sit down and just shut up and listen. Breathe a little bit, slow down. You have to. But that is not the end all experience, right? When you are lost in the weeds, you need someone to see you for who you are, to be your eyes and ears, because you get so caught up in how you think things are, or what other people are thinking, or how what your feelings are telling you about reality. You can't even see the presence of God right around you. The presence of God that is undeniably always permanently around you, whether you like it or not. And so emotional stability requires that connection, that community. We've talked about it a lot over the last few months here. Like you've got to have connection to be okay, to kind of function like a normal, healthy human being. You can't be in a little bubble. You won't survive. I mean, Christianity wasn't meant to be lonely. You were not supposed to be, it was meant to be lived and breathed and within the heartbeat of someone else. You weren't even supposed to read the Bible on your own, by the way. I hate to tell you this. Um, I love reading. I love reading the scriptures and, and the relationship between God and humanity over so many voices and so many experiences. It's so fun because it's so chaotic and messy. Um, but they weren't written in a vacuum, and they weren't written to you, and they weren't written so you would read them alone. They were written to be read in a community, in a room with shared people, to share, to talk about it, to ask questions, to be upset about it, to get angry about it, to have to wrestle with it, okay? That was the assumption these things are written in. Even all the gospel, not the gospels, the, all the letters in the New Testament. Like I just said the word letter, so that's not written to you. That's written to whole churches. Many, many, many churches. You know, I'm pretty sure that they were just talking to me. <laughs> it feels that way, but, but it's a shared well for everyone to drink from. I mean, coffee with Jesus in your Bible is a completely modern and Western invention, and it's still good for you. You should. You need it. Okay, again. Slow down occasionally. Go listen to God quietly. Um, I'm not saying it's the wrong way, but I am saying it's not the only way. It's not the whole way. And why do I say this? Because if I can't see my own presence, my own worth, then I have to trust someone else to see it for me outside of myself. Speak to it, to give it some life. I can't survive alone for very long. Uh, in my creativity, I've got to find understanding community that match my skill level of something because I need to see all the cracks in the thing I'm making. So I have to put it out there to other people and say, what do you think about this? And then be okay with hearing it. But I thrive in that. I have to have that to make anything better. In my health, I'm happy to trust people smarter than me and wiser than me with more experience to lead me. It is hard not to be your own expert. I get it. <laughs> I, I really get it. Um, believe me. I'm pursuing some big health goals this year, and I'm having to trust someone else's experience and wisdom over mine. And goals that I've repeatedly approached and failed and carry a lot of shame with. And I can be a real know-it-all sometimes. At my worst, I'm a real know-it-all, and it's not good. So it's very painful and humiliating for me to have to look at someone else and say, I trust you more than I trust myself. It is hard to recognize that recognize that what I need is someone else to tell me who I am and see me honestly. For whatever reason, the cost of trust hurts really bad sometimes. But when I can't rely on myself to love myself, when that has not steered me into a good place, I got to get help. And that is the fire of love feeling like hell. 
Because what's actually happening is, is I'm realizing I'm not at my greatest when I'm doing something on my own. And I'm not letting others in and sharing with them and saying, hey, be part of my experience so that I can grow. And how can I be part of your experience so you can grow? And then I get to see myself in a whole new light. When I trust that, when I step into that, and I really make space for that, I get to see myself as someone else sees me. And I see life in me. I see the good things. I see the treasure. You know, lasting growth in all of our lives will come from shared space. It will come from shared presence with God and with one another. You know, our, our pursuit of that presence requires us to be at peace in our own skin. It really does, because it's a good thing, this skin. You are a good thing. In your life, you will see a thousand mountain tops. And I want to know the presence of God that will just meet me up there, that will follow me down to the dust. We'll go through the thorns. We'll fall in the mud with me. We'll lay on the floor and play Legos with me. We'll choose to die with me. Where can I go that I would ever escape your presence? I climbed to the highest peak and you're there. I sink to the depths of death and hell and you were there. Find yourself at the top of the world and you're going to find his presence. Absolutely. And in your home, in your work, in your hobbies, if you slow down for a moment, give a little room, you will find his presence in the middle of those things. In your relationships, the ones that are healthy and in the ones that are broken and in pain, his presence is there. And if you believe David, the psalmist, uh, if you find yourself in the middle of hell, you will still find his presence. Creator of everything, heaven and earth. And I don't care what the road looks like to get to him, but you are going to get there. I promise you that, because it's not on you to find him, it's on God. I feel like that's something I have to really grab hold of these days. It is not on me to find him. It can't be. I should. I shouldn't just stand still and wait. It's just wasted life, and you only get so much of it. But his love is moving towards you. He is the father of the prodigal son, running to the son, not just saying, okay, when my son gets here, then I'll show him I love him. No, that's not who God is. God's throwing off his robe, making a fool of himself, running down the road to get you. And I don't want to be a moving target for his presence much longer. <laughs> you know? Any more than I have to. I have spent my whole life being a moving target, and I don't know why. We can't manufacture an encounter, but we can make it easy. We can make it simpler. We can hold still and say, I am here. Come on, I'm here. Let's pray together for a minute. You guys would stand with me. Be present with me. want you all to just recognize that you're in the presence of God right now. And it's so overwhelming and it is so holy and you are so welcome in the middle of it. There's not a single one of you that is having to wait at the door and knock and wait to be let in. Your father is just saying, come on, come sit down. I'm already here and everything I have is already yours. God, I thank you that you're 
your love is inevitable. It is inescapable. God, I'm sorry for the times that I've denied it, that I've said I wasn't worth it, that it wasn't for me. That's the foolishness of being on a journey. God, give us fresh grace to see it, to know it, to meet it. who we are. If at the end of the day we forget everything else about who we are, what we think we are, we can always remember this. We are loved by you and we are in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Revive that sense of, our pre- of your presence in our life, God. It has never changed. It has never left. I feel like for some of you in this room, it feels so heavy, so distant. I feel that pain too. He has never changed. He's never left. He's never moved away in the slightest. Lift your head up and look at him. Slow down a minute. Breathe. Just say thank you for being here. No matter what you are in right now, he is in it with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You're just so good. I don't know how I can disconnect from this. You're just so good. God, I bless everyone in this room that this just sticks to you today. That you heard my heart's cry for his presence that you hear his heart's cry for your presence in him. That we know a God who is so just radically in love with us and just desperately wants to be with you that he would set all of himself aside. There's nothing else like that. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit Podcast. For more information about The Pursuit, visit us at thepursuitsoco.com.